Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. Colossians 3.19 says simply, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. It says in multiple places, Paul gives clear instructions that we are supposed to love our spouses. And that's men loving their wives and wives loving their husbands. And it's wrapped into these dynamics of what it means to be a Christian family. And that example gives the kids something to look forward to and how relationships are supposed to be lived out. But it also gives an example of how Christ loves us. I was at a funeral for my old boss, the old district superintendent of the, of the Atlantic District. His name, was, um, his name was David Leroy, and I was at his funeral a few years ago, and one of his sons got up and shared a bit about him, and he, he shared how one day he had asked his dad, you know what, dad, how do I, how do I lead my kids? How do I serve my kids well? How do I give them that example? And David's response to him was, love your wife. This is the example they need to see. This is the template of how they should live their lives. And the better you love your spouse, the better the foundation is for your kids. The best way to lead your kids is to love your spouse. Lesson number two. You need to fight with yourself to acknowledge your part of the problem. You need to fight with yourself so that you can acknowledge your part of the problem. 1 Peter chapter 3 has this big long section and and I'm going to read you these, these verses but at the end... It says, husbands in the same way, okay? So I'm going to read this paragraph, but remember that at the end it says, husbands in the same way, meaning husbands, pay attention to what I just said, okay? It says, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that in any, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I can remember very clearly 
not that long ago that I was standing in the porch of my house. Heidi and I were having a discussion. And it was going on and on. And I was getting angry and frustrated and annoyed. And I remember standing there and seeing everything she was doing and everything she was doing that didn't make sense, that was illogical, irrational, that wasn't working, how she had done wrong. And I'm standing there, I can think of all that really, really easily, really clearly. And way in the back of my mind is the realization that I've done one or two things wrong in this process too. But it's way back there. And so much of me is like, no, I don't need to bring that up. That's a small factor. That's not a big issue. That doesn't really matter in this. It's not going to solve the problem. And I'm standing there and we're having this conversation. And I had to fight with myself to bring that from way back here, up here, and then share it. And slow down the conversation and say, you know what, this, I'm... I've done this wrong, or I'm, I'm, sorry that I, I'm sorry that I said that, or I'm sorry I said it that way. And even though it felt like such a very small part of the discussion, such a small thing, when I fought and I resisted the devil, and I treated my wife like she needs to be treated, and I was able to bring that to the front and acknowledge it and acknowledge that in the discussion, the entire discussion changed. The entire conversation shifted. And all of a sudden, instead of there being defensiveness on both sides, there was an openness and there was a solution that came about. You need to fight with yourself to acknowledge your, not you are, but your, the the part that you own, your part of the problem. Lesson three, if you need to schedule it, schedule it. Just make sure it happens. Now, it can be any number of things, and I will let you imagine those things. But the key is, it doesn't matter what it is. There are certain things that need to happen in your marriage, in your married life, with your spouse. And quite often, it is not going to happen by accident. And so if you need to schedule it, schedule it. Just make sure it actually happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. We've read this passage this month already. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Proverbs 24, verses, verse 27. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Scheduling, planning, whether it's a date night, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a romantic time, whether it's talking about finances, whatever it is. Heidi and I started out in this kind of stressful situation where she is very spontaneous and energetic, and I am very planned and boring. 
And she wanted me to be spontaneous and exciting and just come up with plans and come up with dates and do all these things just in the spur of the moment. And I would be like, let's sit on the couch. I don't know. And then as we got a house and I was renovating the house and we started having kids and I'm the lead pastor of a church, all these other things are coming in and all of a sudden, even date nights, time to just sit down together intentionally, simply weren't happening. And what we decided and what we discovered is that if we schedule it, it happens. Not always, but it happens more than it used to. And the important thing for us is that we just make sure that it happens. And so if you've got to schedule it, schedule it. Just make sure that it happens. Lesson four. Don't assume you know the answers to questions. You have to ask and listen. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Proverbs 25, 7 and 8 say, What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to the court. For what you will do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame. Now that proverb is a little wordy, but basically what that's saying is you see something, you assume you know what it means, and so then you run to the court to try to get that person in trouble when you may not actually understand it. And you may go and make that assumption and the person comes along and explains it and all of a sudden you look like a fool. You tracking with me? Do not assume you know the answer to the questions that you have for your spouse. You don't know the answer. You have to ask the question and listen. Heidi and I, a couple years ago, did the Alpha Marriage Course. And in that, there's a, a journal, a booklet, where you're supposed to write down your answers, and sometimes you're supposed to fill out the answers for your spouse. And, and we're supposed to do all that different weeks. And there were several opportunities where it was like, write down the things, uh, your desires of your spouse. And we'd write things down or write down the priorities of your spouse. And then you've got to share them with each other. And it was humorous and sometimes problematic when we discovered just how wrong our answers were about each other. And we had been married for like seven or eight years at that point. And we simply assumed we knew the answer to the questions for our spouse. And we didn't. And the key we learned from that is that you have to ask the question and listen for the answer. Lesson five. Fight. And learn how to fight good. But even if you don't fight good, learn how to fight. Hebrews 12 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of grace of God, that no bitter root 
grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Ephesians 4 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Throughout our marriage, this has been a priority for me. We made sure that when issues came up, we dealt with them right away. There were many, many, many nights where we were up until 2 a.m. trying to sort things out in that first year of marriage because it was such a priority that we get that those things figured out. But I can remember, I think it was our first year here, I had been putting a lot of time in the house, renovating the house, just burning myself out trying to get all this stuff done. And we were sitting at the table. We didn't have kids then. And we were talking about going to see a movie or something. And I, I don't even remember exactly what she said, but she said something that made it seem like all I was focused on was, was doing the house for me and I didn't care about her in the process. And I remember getting so angry because I was renovating the house for her. Well, things escalated. Things escalated, and the fight got pretty heated. That was the only time, I'm pretty sure the only time in my married life I've ever raised my voice beyond this volume with my wife. And I raised my voice, and at one point, Heidi left the house and went for a walk. Well, I shouldn't have raised my voice, and she shouldn't have walked away. And when she came back, not only did we work through the situation and realizing what had caused the argument and where we were and how to fix that, and it took like a day or two to get settled after it, but we realized that I could not, and I knew this before, but I realized that I could not raise my voice, and she could not just walk away. We had to work through it. We had to fight, and we had to learn how to fight good. I can't tell you how many how many marriages I've seen fall apart because they never learned how to fight? Lesson six. Not every day, week, month, or year is going to be good, and that's okay. Not every day, week, month, or year is going to be good, and that's okay. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Over 10 years, there have been good days and bad days, good months and bad months, good years and bad years. There have been times when we have been renovating and the house is chaotic and a mess and that took like two or three years and there's still some stuff that we want to tweak, small things, 
But those were several years, and it felt like, are we ever going to get out of this? Is this a good situation? There were years when we were trying to have kids. And then a couple years trying to have the second kid. And then another year trying to have the third kid. And wondering, is this going to last? And then there was the time of just having the kids and them being small and screaming and screaming and screaming. (laughs) And screaming. And Ben is still screaming. (laughs) And Lily has just started screaming. (laughs) And we're exhausted. And we don't have a whole lot of time. And sometimes it's easy to think in those moments, "Ah, this isn't, I don't like this. And it can be easy to think, is this what I want? But the reality is, there's a time for everything. And not every day week, month, or year has to be your dream situation. It's okay. There are good times and there are bad times. And it's okay. That's part of the journey. We wouldn't have the house we have if we hadn't spent the years during renovations. We wouldn't have the kids we have if we hadn't spent the years trying to have kids and going through the screaming. It's part of the journey. And not every week, month, day, or year is going to be good. And that's okay. Lesson number seven. Get help. Get help. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Now this is not about listening, listening to all the gossip and listening to everything your in-laws tell you and having somebody else control and manipulate your marriage. This is something that you and your spouse have to figure out, yes. But again, I cannot tell you how many marriages I have watched in the past 10 years fall all apart, some of them close, close friends just in the past couple years because they did not get help. If they had just taken the advice, if they had just shut up and admitted that something wasn't right and they needed somebody else's input, they needed somebody to speak into their lives, and they needed to make a change, they could have saved their marriage. They could have saved their family. But because they refused to get help, it fell apart. Because they they refused to admit they needed help, because they were too prideful to get help, because they were so naive that they think that they didn't need help, whatever it was. They didn't get help, and things fell apart. And Heidi and I have had multiple discussions where we look at each other and say, I never want to get to that place. If something is wrong, we need to talk about it. And if we need to talk to somebody, we need to talk to somebody. 
And there are many times that we look at those who are older and wiser than us, who have more experience, and we look at their marriage and we ask them questions of how does that work? How did you figure that out? How do you navigate those things? Get help. Lesson number eight. Don't expect your spouse to read your mind because they can't. Don't expect your spouse to read your mind. They can't. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Proverbs 21, 23, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from a calamity. If you keep your mouth shut, no one knows what's going on inside your head. That's Evan's paraphrase. Proverbs 25, 2 and 3, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. What does that all say to me? It is the word of God. It is God's job to know your thoughts and your attitudes. Nobody else's. You cannot read anybody's mind. That's up to them and God who have access to that. You cannot read anyone's mind, and no one can read your mind. So don't expect them to read your mind. This is one of those very common things and one of those big frustrations Heidi has had with me throughout our marriage is that she would be doing something like cleaning the dishes or bathing the baby or working on some project or whatever and I'd be sitting doing my thing and then she would be angry in her mind and frustrated with me and she wouldn't tell me anything about it and then that would go on for a while and then she would blow up at me because I wasn't helping her with the dishes or with that project or her bathing the baby even though she didn't tell me that's what she wanted to do because she's thinking, hello, you're a smart man, I'm doing the dishes, you should see that and put one and one together and realize that you should get up off your fat butt and come help me. Now men, how many of you have ever had that experience? Uh-huh. I, I know, and men in this room, you know, you're thinking what I'm thinking. You're like, I can't read your mind. Am I right? The reality is, whether men are dumb, unaware, or just function differently, it does not matter. The truth is that your spouse is not able to read your mind, and you cannot assume that they're going to get the message without you sharing what you're thinking. When Heidi finally said, can you come help me with this? Can you wash the baby? Can you do this? I'm like, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. 
But if you don't say it, I'm not going to get it. And you may want people to read your mind and just fulfill your desires naturally, but guess what? Your spouse can't read your mind. So don't expect them to. Lesson nine. Even if you are a little bit wrong, apologize. Even if you are a little bit wrong, apologize. James 5, 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Proverbs 28, 13, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Many, many times there have been arguments and discussions or no arguments and no discussions. But I say something stupid. I, I, I have a tone that's really short. I'm frustrated about something and I just, I, I say it shortly and rudely to Heidi. And Heidi's very good about understanding that I'm an idiot some days. She understands my personality. And she's very good at absorbing that and realizing, okay, he didn't mean it that way. That's just the tone. That's how he comes across and all this stuff. And she's able to absorb a lot of my quirks and issues and keep on going and not let it bother her. But after a while, it builds up, doesn't it? And the reality is that I have had to learn that yeah, she may be able to handle it. She understands it. It's not a big deal. But even if it's a little bit wrong, it blesses the relationship and eases the tension in incredible ways when I stop and I say, sorry for saying that. Sorry for saying it that way. I didn't, I shouldn't have made that accusation. I didn't mean to come across that way. You weren't wrong. I was wrong. Whatever it is. And, and there's so much inside of me that fights against that because I don't want to invite the criticism. I don't want to invite the, the ridicule. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be condemned. And I don't want to open up the opportunity for her to just come back and tell me how wrong I was and how wrong I was on so many other things. Because that's what happens, right? But even if you're a little bit wrong, you need to apologize. Because that's how the relationship stays connected. Lesson 10. Sorry about that. That's not lesson 10. Lesson 10. Say thank you. Say thank you. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. John 13.34-35 A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ephesians 5.33 However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What all this means is that you need to show honor to your spouse outwardly. You honor somebody. One way you do that is by showing appreciation. By recognizing what they have done and giving them the honor they deserve from their actions. Right? We honor people with medals in the military because of what they have done. Right? They do something great. We honor them. When your spouse does something for you, honor them. Not just in your mind, but outwardly. Say thank you. It may be something as simple as you mowed the lawn, you fixed the car, you renovated the kitchen, you cooked the meal, you bought the groceries, you bathed the kids, whatever it is. And you look at those things and you may think, well, that's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. We're just doing our jobs. No one gets thanked for doing their job, but yes, they do. They should. They should be honored for doing their job and doing their job well. Say thank you. It makes a difference. It adds value. It shows them that they are not being taken for granted, that what they're doing matters, is valuable, adds to the relationship, is noticed by the other person, and makes a difference for the other person, that what they're doing is benefiting the other person's life. It shows appreciation. It shows that you notice them. And it honors them. And when you honor somebody, it helps make a pretty good relationship. Ten lessons. Those are only ten of the lessons I've learned. But ten lessons I've learned from ten years of marriage that I believe are backed up by Scripture. And I think we need to apply And I think we would all do well to apply in our lives. Because marriage is about staying together. And we need to go together. And if we want to go together, we need to communicate. So watch out for your marriages and the marriages of those around you so that we can honor one another and honor God with our lives. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways.